Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation is proud to present Philanthropy and Friends, the podcast that explores the positive impact of philanthropy and nonprofits in our communities. With your host, Jane Powell. Hi, my name is Jane Powell. Welcome to Community Connections, brought to you by the Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation. This is a show showcasing community involvement. And boy, do we have fun today. We are going to talk about the Luna Park Project. I have two guests that are going to give us all the details. And we are going to learn so much history. And I'm so excited you guys are here. Glad to be here, Jane. Yeah. So, Corey Zinn, you are a media partner with the Luna Park Project. And Marilyn McCune, you are the project manager who has all the details and more data than I ever want to know about this. <laughs> so, uh, let's jump in. Give me a quick overview. What is Luna Park? So, Luna Park, uh, it's in Charleston, West Virginia. Or it, um, originally, uh, it was, um, you know, a lot of Charleston, uh, actually prior to being fully, a fully developed city, it was a lot of farmland, um, planta- we would refer to them as plantations, not necessarily as big as like the southern plantations, but there were um, African Americans, um, you know, enslaved working these lands. Um, the Glenwood Estate, then um, it, there was actually, it was turned into a, a golf course on the west side. And then finally in 1910, or 1912, uh, it became a an amusement park, if you can believe it, on the west side of Charleston. A hundred years ago, there was an amusement park on the west side. That's right. Wow. All right. So it, it was it was short-lived. It burned after a, about 10 years, 1923, uh, from a welding accident. And then after that, they built these homes on top of it, um, you know, cleared it out, and they created a, um, a housing district because <laughs> Charleston was growing. This was like really, you know, prime Charleston. Right. Um, and they built these homes. And uh, many of them are still there. It was designed as it was designated as a historic district, and this project was uh, created to really show uh, this this vibrant history and to pre- preserve the homes, to let people know about the tax credits and beautify the area. Okay, so you refer to a project. Tell me what is the Luna Park Historical Project? Well. <clears throat> We wanted to elevate this district because it had been designated as a historic district mm-hmm. back in 2012, and it um, people didn't know about it, right? Um, so we got together a group of residents. We did an, an, an immense effort to get uh, the public involved, people that live in the district, and brought them together. And over the course of 29 meetings, mm-hmm. <laughs> two and a half years, Um, talked about what they would like to see to acknowledge the history of their area and came up with um, the idea of doing gateway signs and uh, street sign toppers and uh, historical panels. So um, does that answer your question? It does. So this is a project really designed to elevate the area. The history of the area, and it's designed... So it's an art project in a lot of ways, is that right? Yes, designed by the residents for the residents, really. It's very much uh, unprecedented level of community input. Yeah. So you had 29 meetings in two and a half years. What is the outcome? What, What do you anticipate? Well, we have some beautiful gateway signs that focus on the 
uh, area of uh, the the part of the park uh, the history that involved the amusement park mm -hmm. and we also have street sign toppers which Corey actually designed very colorful mm -hmm. they are on top of all the um, street signs in the district and the third component is um, these interpretive panels these historical panels that will actually include text and graphics that will tell the history of the area um, including for example the story of John C. Norman who was a well-known uh, local black architect and he was not permitted to live in the district at the time when he was actually designing homes in the district because of the racial covenants. Mm -hmm. So uh, we but he had the <coughs> foresight to know that this would be would outlive him, the pro that his work would outlive him and he would live on so to speak through his um, contribution to the neighborhood. He certainly built some amazing homes. I actually live in one, and uh, if you if you go to Luna Park, um, you can you can definitely tell the ones that they're usu usually stucco, and they have you know they're very colorful. Um, they kind of they match, but they're all very different. Mm -hmm. He liked to you know make sure everything had a unique character to it. There's all kinds of um, not just the John, John C. Norman homes, but there's a lot of different homes, all kinds of styles that are. Um, represented. Um, I'm not an architect, but I, I know there's tutors, uh, there's the craftsmen, mm -hmm. um, bungalow homes. American Foursquare, mm -hmm. Colonial mm -hmm. uh, Revival. And these tax credits, you know, can allow you, allow homeowners, um, you know, you could makes it a lot easier to preserve um, these historical homes because um, they take a lot of work. There, there's a lot of money that needs to go into them and um, and so it's a lot of times it's advantageous for somebody to buy a new home, but we want to preserve our history and, mm -hmm. and keep these beautiful homes around. So we kind of touched on that Luna Park is on the west side, but, um, and because of the art, the toppers and the street signs, as you drive west on the boulevard, you can see some of the toppers. I know they go back into the neighborhoods, mm -hmm. but just even driving down the boulevard, that you can begin to see the art that's happening. Um, how big is the area? It's not just a couple blocks, right? It's um, yeah, what? A, Forty like acres. Yeah. Forty acres. Forty acres. Yeah, about five hundred and something structures, of which four, approximately four hundred and forty, are contributing structures. Wow. So it's a sizable neighborhood. This is not just one or two streets. We're mm -hmm. looking at kind of a chunk of the west side. Yeah, it's really the center of uh, the west side flats, mm -hmm. um, kind of halfway in between the 64 bridge and Pratic Street. Yeah, it's really strategically located because it has riverfront property um, and they just finished this wonderful hiker biker, biker trail that um, connects um, uh, Patrick Street Plaza, brings it down to Magic Island and goes on down to the Capitol. Oh, so yeah. that is one of the borders of the historic district. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked a little bit about the history of Luna Park. So a hundred years ago, there was an amusement park there, which uh, sadly ended with a fire. And this, a neighborhood was built. It's seeing a resurgence today. Um, what, exactly what is it like? I, I know that the historical tax credits, but I, when I think of Luna Park, I think of... Um, a very hip and happening neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think of young people moving in, families. Um, 
That's because of, of all of our work. That's yes, all of it our is. work. That's why you're thinking that, yeah. Yeah. We, there's a, <laughs> That's yeah, right. We had a, an, it's not just, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the core part of this whole project was the artwork and the signage so that people could, you know, physical stuff that people actually in the real world can mm -hmm. see every day and, and, you know, neighbors can pass by them all the time and people drive by like, what's Luna Park? So, it, you know, we raise awareness about that, also beautifying, but um, simultaneously we had, um, we ran some social media campaigns, created a website, compiled a lot of this history that is very, like, unknown. Uh, we, we had to dig through a lot of uh, archives at Culture and History, um, and, you know, people were really pulling from different corners saying, well, I don't, I think we have all we can find, um, which is crazy because, yeah, it's like 100 years ago, but really a lot of people don't know anything about it, and a lot of the people that live there before this project, they, um, they're like, I, there was an amusement park where my house is standing. That's crazy. I did have a, one of my neighbors, Robin, she said they, they used to talk about it in school. She grew up on the west side, and she's like, yeah, yeah, we know Luna Park. We used to learn all about that. Mm -hmm. um, but now, um, you know, new people who move in or people just passing by can, can say, oh, okay, there's something about this Luna Park, and go to our website. We've produced videos that um, go through the history mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're wanting to deep dive a little more. Um, and then, yeah, the, even the artists, um, Blake Wheeler and Glenn Brogan, that created these, uh, these four big five-foot um, gateway signs. You should go check them all out. They're really nice, and, uh, and so they all tell the story as well. Those are the big circle signs mm -hmm. that I see, right. And the part that's yet to come are the interpretive panels. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that there will be kind of a little walking trail uh, down from the boulevard through the neighborhood. And because it connects easily to Elk City, you know, we're trying to make sure that there's a pathway through the west side so people can walk safely and, f and learn about the history of the area. Yeah, walkable. That's mm -hmm. huge for a neighborhood. Um, Corey, you touched on partners and working with the volunteers. Tell me how this project was um, different than other projects. You've worked with the planning department in the city of Charleston. You've had a lot of mm -hmm. uh, contributors. Would you like to speak to that, Mary Lynn? Because there, there's, yeah, this this project was a little bit differently organized mm -hmm. um, in that it it. Uh, yeah. It was partnered with the city, with Greater Kanawha Valley Foundation, and also yeah, the community. It's really, really resident-led because a typical project that the city would do would have one or two uh, public input sessions. You know, the community could come and, and over the course of one or two meetings and say what they thought, and the, the city would take that input and go off and make decisions and implement the project. And from the very beginning, this was resident-led, and uh, resident voices were for first and foremost, and the city was responsive. So <clears throat> there were 29 meetings over the course of two and a half years. We had 47 people make it to one meeting, 27 made it to two or more, and we had a core group of about eight to 10 that came to most so of them. So a lot of input. A lot of input, and um, we did a lot of public outreach. We started off with a survey before the project and an education effort. We then followed with um, asking for input on the street sign toppers that Corey designed. We had multitudes of colors, and, uh, and we got the, the community decided which design they favored, and that was the design that was produced. Um, we did a photo contest. We did outreach around that. Mm -hmm. um, and we had 163 residents that voted for the street sign topper. I can't remember how many participated in the photo contest. And they're purple, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 
I love that. And then we did a post survey. So we had a team of volunteers that were willing to go door to door. And that was really impressive. And we had a paid media partner. And Corey made the difference in, you know, ca capturing all the stories that had already been produced, putting them onto the website, and doing these new videos that showcased the history of the area. Um, so it really, um, it was important to me to showcase the, the, the positive and things that, because the West Side is often portrayed in a negative light. And um, there's, there, there, the stigma of the West Side is something that we really are actively trying to combat through uh, the media campaign that we did, um, which kind of tends to focus on aspects that are not normally captured in the media. Mm -hmm. So I'm really pleased about that. And I think it paid off because when we did the after survey, we had 80% of residents saying that they liked living in Luna Park, and 71% said they felt safe living in their neighborhood, and 81% said they could trust their neighbors. So um, a lot uh, of positive news. I think the street signs and the artwork give them pride in their neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love looking out my window. Uh, I mean, especially since I designed it. But, but even regardless, like, it's just, yeah, it just brightens up the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, makes you feel like you're somewhere special. It, it is nice, mm -hmm. yeah. and I think people I think people feel that way. Um, it's 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 been a really huge challenge because um, you know most people are aware of the challenges on the west side as far as everybody talks about the negative stuff. But you know we were coming in saying like let we're gonna push forward some positivity here because we got to we got we to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and we still had we had a lot of people pushing back and saying like why are you working on art when we have all these other issues. But it's all, it all factors in together. Um, yes. So mm -hmm. it's important that we say, here's, here's the history. That here's, why, here's why the West Side is the West Side. And let's remember what it was like 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, that was, and that was a huge challenge in that the park uh, was whites only. There weren't, we didn't, the historians don't, haven't found concrete evidence of there were whites only signs or anything like that. But we have pictures. Um, and just knowing that it's a Jim Crow, it was a Jim Crow state uh, at the time, uh, blacks and other ethnicities weren't allowed in unless they were working. We have pictures of African Americans, you know, working in the kitchen, but mm -hmm. not, not, you know, playing on all the rides and, and doing all the fun stuff. Uh, and then the, the neighborhood that resulted, and as, as Mary Lynn said, John C. Norman built some of these homes, a, a famous black architect that he, he couldn't live in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until, I think, the 50s or 60s, I can't remember the year, but the deed restrictions were officially lifted. And then it slowly became a very ethnic, one of the most ethnic neighborhoods in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so how do, the question became, the challenge became, how do we celebrate our history and just all the parts that's like, wow, it's so cool that there was a park here, that there could be a park. It, it really, I think it just kind of, it, it brightens up just these, uh, opportunities being like wow like this area could be something else you know w Charleston could be anything so uh, um, a silly little aha moment for me was realizing that there was a Park Avenue mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, went in a park street like oh well that makes perfect sense it was a park yeah just never really connected those yeah two. if you look at the map um, so the um, the red line on the outside that is the uh, the actual historical district, the designated district. The blue line is where the park was itself. And people will be like, why is the west side so crazy? All these like winding streets. It, it actually was, one, because of a creek. Um, they used to run, and there used to be bridges that actually would, to get you to the park, 
Um, and then they ran those, and, and the, the park border was actually went along that creek, and so they created the roads around it, and then the, whenever they, you know, kind of leveled everything and created these flats, it, it just all kind of stayed that way. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really cool to peer back and see, oh, that makes sense. And Park Avenue and Drive, you know, at one point, Park, I can't remember which one, was, would go around the park, and one of them was created um, afterwards. But yeah, that's fun. Um, we, we mentioned historical tax credits. Um, it's a benefit to being there. How, um, who's eligible for this? How does that happen? So the eligibility, first of all, you have to own, your home has to be, because um, there's a few homes that are in the district that aren't, um, that contributing. were like built, that weren't, aren't contributing. They were maybe built in like the 70s or something. Most of the historical homes were built in the 20s, 30s. But that's an application like process. Is that through, who, do, who does that go through? State Historic Preservation The State Office. Historic Preservation mm -hmm. takes mm -hmm. care of that. And yeah. that's an application based on the properties and, yeah. yeah. And there's different tax credits. Some are for um, just residential homeowners, uh, owner occupied, and some are for if your property is producing income. Um, and so the one that's, if you have an income producing property, which I'm assuming can include if you're doing an Airbnb in your, in your home, mm -hmm. um, that's 45%. Um, the, the, the other one is just 20%, 20 but still it helps to offset um, your, your, your upkeep costs, your maintenance and your, your rehab costs, which these homes are, you know, they need, uh, they need upkeep, they need maintenance to preserve them. So it's a valuable tool. And um, it also helps, there's a, there's a percentage, I think, um, and I remember this was, so something to remember before you go and buy a historical home, and um, there's a certain amount um, that, you know, if you're just kind of making little changes over time, you may not actually be eligible for the mm -hmm. credits. You have to be investing uh, a little bit, a certain percentage of the So tell me, what's, value the, the, what's the future look like for Luna Park? What's going to happen? What are the next, what's the next plan? Well, this was intended to be a catalytic project that brought people together, residents together, and empowered them so they realized they could make positive change mm -hmm. happen. Um, there's a lot of work that's still needed there. This area experiences flooding. It experiences crime. Uh, there's a lot of the structures need rehab. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my hope is that um, the city will uh, revise its housing program so that uh, for example, it could do more to help seniors stay in their home and age mm -hmm. in place. Or it could help uh, middle-income earners uh, renovate these homes. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm working with the city to try to continue to draw attention to the, the need to preserve the housing stock and thereby ensure that residents have a quality and safe neighborhood to live in. And there's art installations still to happen, is that right? The interpretive panels yep. will be hopefully going in uh, this fall. Mm -hmm. So like the white, you see those white signs sometimes that say, oh, this used mm -hmm. to be in Civil War here or something. Um, yeah, we'll have, some of those will be installed that will actually tell you about John C. Norman, about the park, um, some of the African American history. Yeah. Uh, we want to make sure that, that, that that's, you yeah. know. We're not program. glossing over, so that we're re telling the good and the bad. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's important. Thank you guys so much. It's been um, such an interesting conversation to learn about something 100 years ago that is, that is bright and shiny and new now and good things to happen in the future. There's a website, lunaparkwestvirginia.com, mm -hmm. where people can see more pictures and learn more. And there's a Facebook page that they can follow along. So lots of places to get information. Mary Lynn Corey, thank you so much for being here today.
Thank and you thank so you guys thank for you joining too. us. This has been Community Connections, brought to you by the Greater Canal Valley Foundation. We'll see you next time. For more info on the Greater Canal Valley Foundation, visit us online at tgkvf.org.